94. Psalm 94. It's found on page 601. Our focus for the rest of this evening's service is going to be on this psalm. So let us read it together. Psalm 94, verse 1. O Lord, the God who avenges... O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. Take heed. You senseless ones among the people. You fools, when did you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against the evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? One that brings on misery by its decrees? They band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord 
has become my fortress. And my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. Well, we'll be coming back to that passage. Before we do, your Bible open at Psalm 94 as we spend some time thinking about what it says. I want you to imagine a man. This man is a judge in the high court. And in this court, in the dock, is a man who has just been convicted of murder. This man, the killer, has shown no remorse. He has lied the whole way through the trial. Worst of all, he has snatched away an innocent life. And the judge, as he sentences this man, in his disgust, he hands down the stiffest sentence that he possibly can. Life with no parole. This convict is led to the cells and the judge goes home. And as he arrives home, he immediately discovers there is something seriously wrong. As soon as he gets out of his car, he can hear the tears from inside his house. He opens the front door to see his daughter absolutely distraught. She's in tears because her brother has just bit her in the arm. So this judge takes his son into another room, sits him down, tells him how wrong it is that he has bit his daughter or his sister. And then he passes the sentence. Two slaps with a wooden spoon. To see a man in the courtroom and in the living room. He passes judgment both times and yet he acts in very different ways. Whenever he's in the courtroom, he's a judge. Whenever he's in the living room, he's a father. Whenever he's at work, he is driven by justice. Whenever he's at home, he is driven by love. His whole approach changes depending on who he deals with. And I think we see in Psalm 94 that this is true of God. God is pictured here, firstly, as a judge. But then secondly, especially from verse 12 on, 
perhaps not quite as explicitly, he is pictured as a father. And the key question coming from this psalm and this sermon is this. What is God to you? Is God your father? Or is God your judge? Are you a defendant? Or are you a son? Do you need to be afraid of God's justice? Or can you rejoice in God's love? Ultimately, the way in which you read this psalm hinges on whether or not you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you do have faith, then you are a son or a daughter. And this psalm is full of comfort. If you don't have faith, then you are in the dark. And it may be that you've never gone as far as the great evil that we see in this psalm. But you're a sinner. And God pledges in this psalm that he will hold you to account. So we're going to see firstly God as a father. and then, or Sorry, God as a judge firstly. Then secondly, God as a father. So firstly... God as a judge. When you think about it, verse 1, it's a strange place to start a psalm. You would think in a song of praise, the writer would begin with God's love. Or maybe his goodness or his mercy. But instead, the writer begins with God's vengeance. Wonder as we read it. Did you wonder, why is it that the first thing that this writer thinks of when he thinks about God is vengeance? Hopefully it became clear as we read the psalm. Because we see in this, the writer is composing this against a horrible black backdrop. The world that he lives in is a mess. There is a cloud hanging over good people. And yet, for evil people, life is easy. The writer looks at evil men. And he is appalled by the things that they do. For example, verse 6. Isn't there something so sinister about this verse. Who is it that these wicked men choose to target? It's the weak. It's women who have lost their husbands. Children who have lost their fathers. Foreigners who are treated as second class. It's people who have no one to protect them. These wicked men target people 
who are most vulnerable. And it gets worse. Because what really gets to the writer is the things that these people say. Verse 4, they boast. You can just imagine these wicked men. They're bragging in front of their mates. They're having a good laugh about the widows and the orphans that they've abused. You have, on the one hand, good people like the writer. And he finds life tough. He's heartbroken by what he sees. And then you have scum, wicked men. And for them, life is easy. Well, in many ways, this is just like the world today. I wonder, do any of you ever get troubled in the same way as the writer? I wonder, does it bother you when you hear about drug dealers getting rich by exploiting their victims? By getting their hooks into people who are hopeless? Does it bother you when you think about how a doctor can rip a child straight from the womb? And the law says that's okay. Does it bother you when you hear about gangs in towns like this? And they run riot and no one dares to touch them. I wonder, can you empathise with verse 3? Can you join the writer in his desperation? How long will the wicked rejoice? How long is this going to go on for? When's it all going to stop? The man who writes this psalm is desperate. He sees a trail of ruined lives. And then he hears the vile boasts that spew out of these men's mouths. This man is heartbroken. What we need to realise is this. There is only one thing that keeps this man from going off the edge. It's in verse 1. Let us learn the lesson of this verse. In the midst of all of the problems of life, this man chooses that he will set his mind on the things that God has said. Other people see the problems. They panic. This man sees God. This man remembers to the past. He remembers the things that God has revealed. And especially in verse 1, he remembers the Lord is a God of vengeance. He remembers that God 
doesn't ignore sin. The lesson for us is this. When we despair because of the wickedness of others. Or when we despair because we feel abandoned or alone. Or when we feel like we're being overwhelmed by the challenges that we have to face. What do we do? We remember God's word. We focus on the things that God has told us about himself. This man does that and that's what keeps him going. And notice that as he thinks about what God is like, this spurs him on to pray. Verse 1 and verse 2. They're verses that perhaps make us squeamish. Like to avoid this sort of language and this sort of idea. Very simply, this man is praying that God will act in accordance with what he has revealed about himself. He's saying here, God, you have said that you avenge. So rise up. Take action. Judge these men. I think we need to realise here, this isn't a petty or a bloodthirsty prayer. This isn't a man who just wants to settle old scores. This is a man who wants justice. He wants wickedness and wicked people to be stamped out. This man wants God to do what is right. And in this instance, what is right is that God takes vengeance. I want to challenge you on this. I know it flies in the face of so much Christian thinking but we can be quick can't we to pray and to focus on certain parts of God's character we pray that God will be patient we pray that he will show love we pray that he will have mercy and it's right that we pray these things but when is the last time that you prayed that God would rise up and judge. Have you ever prayed that God would repay the wicked? I'm not saying here that we're to be bloodthirsty. But surely if we can see wickedness all around us and yet we never pray that God will judge Surely there's something missing from our prayers. This man shows us that when we're troubled 
by the wicked. We can throw ourselves onto one who is just. So he speaks in verse 1 to verse 7 to God. I want you to notice in verse 8, he begins to speak to the wicked. And he does that because of the thing that they have said in verse 7. And I think verse 7 has to be one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. Because this verse is a massive gamble. These men are betting everything on verse 7 being true. They say here, the Lord does not see. That is the only hope that they have. All of their hope is in the idea that either God doesn't care or that he doesn't exist. That is their only hope. These men know if God does see, well then he's going to repay. So, they gamble everything on this idea that somehow God doesn't notice. And I wonder, are any of you this evening doing the same thing? You perhaps haven't sinned in quite the same way that these men sinned. And yet you know you have broken God's law. wonder, could it be that you attend church every week perhaps? You hear the promises of forgiveness in the gospel. And yet, rather than trusting in what Jesus has done... You gamble everything on verse 7. You hope that somehow God doesn't see. If you're not trusting in Jesus, that is exactly what you're doing. I hesitate. To say what I'm about to say next. I only say it. Because it's not my words. It's the words. Of the writer. Verse 8. You're a fool. As far as the writer is concerned. It is ridiculous. To think that somehow. God might let you off. Do you see how scathing he is. In verse 9. He's basically saying here, your ears, those things at the side of your head, they let in noise. Well, if God made those, do you really think that somehow he doesn't hear? And your eyes, if God has given you these organs that allow you to see, well, how would he not see himself 
the writer's saying here, wise up. Pull yourself together. Face up to the facts. Of course, God sees. In fact, verse 11. He even sees your thoughts. He's telling us here. If you keep on ignoring the gospel. If you convince yourself that God isn't going to notice your sin. Very simply, you're a fool. Because he tells us, God does see. And more than that, verse 2, God pays back sinners what they deserve. God doesn't ignore sin. It's something that gives great hope to the writer. But it's something that is terrible news if you are not a Christian. Because one day, just like verse 1 and 2, God is going to rise up in anger. And there's only one way to avoid this vengeance. And that is the gospel. Jesus promises us that if we turn from our sins and if we trust in him, then we go from being defendants to being sons. If we trust in him, God is no longer our judge. Instead, he is our father. So we've seen firstly this idea of God being a judge. Now secondly, we want to think about God as a father. And you maybe notice that the psalm changes in tone as we reach verse 12. Suddenly the words are optimistic. Because the writer is thinking now not of the way that God deals with the wicked, but the way that God deals with the godly. This time, there's a relationship. God knows his people, just like he knows the wicked. But this time, he knows them in order to bless, and not in order punish. I think the imagery here very much that of the relationship between a father and a child. And because of this relationship there is blessing. Verse 12, even blessing amidst the pain of life. One of the things that this father does for his children is to discipline I want you to notice the contrast between the way that God disciplines his children in verse 12 and the way he disciplines the wicked in the first 11 verses. This discipline of God's children results in blessing. God uses it 
to teach the ones he loves. And that's something that should be tremendously encouraging. Think back to verse 3. The despair that this man faced. He just cannot understand what is taking God so long. And then when we read verse 12. Suddenly it makes sense. God allows these wicked things to happen because he is disciplining his people. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean that they've done something wrong. God is using it to teach. And we can see the fruit of that discipline in this psalm. Question for you. What does this man do as a direct result of the hardship that he faces? The answer is, he trusts and he prays. He comes to experience God's care in a way that he never would have if it wasn't for this evil. His relationship with his heavenly father is enriched. He's blessed through discipline. And the lesson here for us, if we're Christians, is this. Pain and hurt are never what they seem. When we go through difficult times, it may seem that somehow God has lost control. But we're reminded here, God is in control. He uses our pain to teach us and ultimately to bless us. It means there is always a reason for our pain. Again, not necessarily some sin that we haven't confessed. It's not always that type of discipline. There's always a reason. And as hard as it is to recognize it, the pain that God sends into our lives ultimately is always for our blessing. And I realize that some things that God's people face, maybe even some of the things that you have had to face, are so, so awful. That you just cannot see how it could possibly be for good. Well, we've got further hope in verse 13. Because we're assured here that discipline doesn't go on forever. In the case of of this writer, the discipline ends when God punishes the wicked. 
God eventually gives him relief from his days of trouble. And I think the writer is encouraging us here. He's saying, sometimes when we go through trial, it seems like there is no possible way that it could ever be used for good. It seems like it's going to completely wear us down. Seems like it's going to destroy us. Given the assurance in this verse. For God's people, there is always an end in sight. When that loving discipline has run its course. When God has finished using trial to bring blessing. Verse 13. He always grants relief. And the writer knows that when you're in the middle of this discipline it's hard to accept and it's hard to trust and so he gives us verse 14 here's the truth that underpins everything that he says here about God's people the Lord will not reject his people he will never forsake his inheritance and if we're Christians we are God's people we have been ransomed through the death of Christ we are being described in verse 14 I want us to think back to that opening illustration as the judge comes home and as he disciplines his son, his mindset is completely different from when he was in court. This judge knows no matter how many times this boy bites his sister and no matter how much effort being a father is, this boy is my son. He is not some criminal in the dock. He's not someone that you just send away. He's different. He's valuable. He's precious. And if we're Christians, we have this assurance in verse 14. No matter what we face, no matter how severe and no matter how long God's discipline lasts, God will never reject us. Perhaps at this moment in time you are experiencing God's discipline. Perhaps you're feeling the strain. God pledges here to you if you're a Christian. 
he will never reject you. And as we move on through the psalm, we see that fatherly care of God shining through. Verse 16. Can you imagine a young boy? He goes to school, but when he's at school, he's bullied by the older boys. He's too small to defend himself. Where can he go? Well, the writer of this psalm goes straight to his father. His father is the one who stands up for his son against the evildoers. Verse 18. When the writer's foot slips, when his strength has left him, when he can no longer keep on going, who is it? That's beside him. Who is it that holds him up? It's his father. Supporting him in love. Verse 19. When the worries of life bubble up. When his head spins and he can't get to sleep. Who is it that stays up all night? And listens. Who is it that brings comfort and consolation? It's the Father. This man is distressed by the discipline that he faces, but he doesn't despair. Because this man knows that the same God who sees and hears the wicked sees and hears the troubles of his children. This man knows that he has a father who brings comfort to his soul. The lesson from this man's life is that when things are tough, our hope isn't that soon enough the circumstances will change. Because there's no guarantee of that. He teaches us that when things are going all right, our joy isn't to be in the fact that circumstances are good. He shows us our hope is that we have a God who blesses us even in the circumstances that we face. If we learn the lesson from this man, then verse 19 will be true of us, even amidst the mess of life on earth, even amidst sickness, Problems at school, financial trouble, uncertainty in the family, even amidst all of these trials, we can have joy in our souls. 
Psalm 94. In many ways, it's a psalm of two parts. We have one God in view the whole way through the psalm. And yet, this one God acts in very different ways. If you haven't put your trust in God, in Jesus, to deal with your sins, then for you, God is a judge. He is the God of vengeance. Verse 23, just for a taste of that, he will repay you for your sins. He will rise up and he will take vengeance. On the other hand, if you are trusting in Jesus, then for you, God is a father. He's someone who comforts you with his joy, even when life is at its most painful question that this psalm asks you couldn't get a more important question what is God to you is he your judge or is he your father amen Let us stand as we pray. Come before you, our Father, the judge of the earth, and the God of vengeance. And we thank you for your justice. We thank you for how you refuse to leave sin unpunished. We thank you for how you rise up against those who are evil. And you repay them for their sins. And so Father, we pray this evening that you will act in this way according to your character. As we think of great evil in this world as we think of wicked men who terrorize those who are weak we pray that you will not sit still we pray that you will not ignore this sin but we pray that just as you have promised you will rise up and that you will establish justice in your world And Father, as we think of you as a judge, we are grateful, eternally grateful, for Jesus Christ. We praise you for how he came to earth and he stood in our place. We praise you for how he stood in your dock. We praise you for how, if we are in him, he took our sins. We praise you for how he was condemned so that we can be pardoned we praise you for how by his blood we have been brought 
into your family. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to cherish this status that we have as sons and daughters of the living God. We pray, Father, that we will delight in your loving compassion and your tender mercies. And in particular, Father, we pray for your children who are undergoing your discipline. We think again of Ken in hospital. We think of others known to us who are undergoing the trial of illness. We pray, Father, that you will bring consolation and joy in their souls. We pray that in the midst of pain, that you will be there to richly bless. We pray, Father, that in the midst of difficulty, that just like the writer of this psalm, they will put their focus on you, and that you, and not their circumstances, will be the source of their joy and their delight. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.